So this is, this is an exciting week for me. I, I'm always excited to, to get to, to preach, number one, to teach the lesson. Uh, sometimes, you know, you, you, you're, you're not for sure about, like, what you're going to speak about. And, you're, you know, we're doing this series. And so I'm always going, okay. Sometimes I think Aaron gives me the short end of the stick. Uh, this week he gave me the long. I mean, like, I had, like, I got to preach seven messages out of this text today. Um, and so uh, we're going we're gonna to jump into John 13 today. Uh, if you followed along, we're, we're learning about the life of, of Jesus. We're learning about just not just the life of Jesus, but we're learning about the character of Jesus. We're getting to know him on this personal, intimate level, right? And, and, and that's, that's all by design because we want to know him more. We're driving, we're driving for an intentional there's my first time I'm going to use it today, intentional relationship with Jesus. And I'm telling you, this book is, is like one of the, the key fundamentals in an intentional relationship, an intentional knowledge of Jesus. So um, this also is a message that is um, one that we could, we could do, uh, people have preached it all the time. It's about humility. Um, it's a lesson on humility. Um, you know, we could do all kinds of things with it, but I think we're going we're gonna to look at a couple of different things today, and I'm pretty excited about it, that uh, I came over here and actually preached the message yesterday. Everybody got saved that was here. <laughs> there was renewals, there was, a, I mean, people were slain in the spirit across here. And then Sidney yelled in there, is anybody in there? And this, hey, so... You know, it was, it was good, though, right? So uh, we're going to jump into our text today, which is John chapter 13, uh, verses 1 through 17, and then John 30, 13, 34 through 35. Uh, if you want to follow along, we have it on the screen. I read from the New Living Translation, so if it's a little bit different, um, well, it is. Uh, so anyways, here we go. Let's, let's uh, jump in here this morning. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And the evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, that's very important, wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew going to betray, who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now what... Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. 
Very, very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And then we're going to move to verse 34 through 35. It says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other for you. For your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Let's, let's bow our heads. Lord, we just praise you today, God, that, that you are amazing. Lord, that you are a God who is the standard bearer. That you are a God who loves us so much that you would humble yourself to be with us. So God, I pray today that this word that you've, you've given, Lord, that I would just be an empty vessel, that you would use me to pour out your word. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open to hear this, this important message, this fundamental message, this message, Lord, that sets the tone for us who lives in you. Lord, I just thank you for everything you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I'm going to ask you all a quick question. And nobody wants to be honest. It's okay. I'll know your hearts. Who here likes to walk in humility? Likes to walk in humility. How many of you like to walk in humility? What? Nobody here likes to walk in humility? Nobody. Wow. That's crazy. I didn't... I'm pretty sure somebody raised their hand yesterday. I'm not sure. <laughs> so let me help you out then, since nobody wants to walk in humility. Let me give you a definition of humility. Webster's, honestly, believe it or not, Webster's has the very best definition I have ever found of humility. It is literally, Webster must have been listening to God in that moment. He must have been. Here's what it says. It's the state of being humble. Well, I'm like, dude, that doesn't clear up a lot. But here's where it gets godly. It says, freedom from pride and arrogance, lowliness of mind, a modest, a modest estimate of one's own worth. A sense, here, but it gets more godly. A sense of one's own unworthiness through imperfection and, get this word, Webster uses this word, imperfection and sinfulness. Wow. And then finally it says, an act of submission or courtesy. Now the world, we love to throw around the word humility. Right? Does everybody remember a few years ago in the business world, what was the big model that was going around? Does anybody remember what it was? Servant leadership. That's a crock. Uh, I didn't see many people really do use this definition. Did you in the business world? I didn't, right? Because they didn't really know what it meant. We talk about it regarding our social programs. Oh, we've got to be humble and to serve, and yet it's just an opportunity for somebody to talk, right? I don't see those characteristics. I don't see a lowliness of mind, a modest estimate of one's own worth an act of submission. I don't see that used. We just use it as this broad term, makes us feel good. Be humble. Oh, this makes me feel good. Hmm. 
But today's text, it really set the example and embodies the true definition of what humility meant. They should have been, instead of this great definition, they could have just put a picture of Jesus' face. They really could have. The Bible has a lot to say about humility. We're driving, for those of you, and I'm not telling any secret, the, 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 the uh, theme of this year's men's group is humility. Men, am I, am I, are we teaching that every time we walk in the door? We're talking about humility every time. And I'll tell you, the Bible has so much to say about it. It's, it's, it's a place in the kingdom. Its place in the kingdom is, is integral. And it's what drives us to the feet of the cross. It's what provokes healing. It's what provokes us to be able to hear God's voice. It's what provokes God to answer our prayers. Second Chronicles 7 and 14 has become, man, it has become, it has become a, I don't know whether the word is an integral part of Heidi and I's life. Someone t- taught us this, and we put a reminder on our phone every day. At 7.14, 7 Chron- and, and, and Heidi has this really awesome alarm, and it says, it's 7.14, Second Chronicles. You know, we, we go in there, and we, we read this, and we repeat it. And here's what it says, because this is the key to the kingdom. It says, then if my people who call my name will humble themselves, humble themselves, and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, restore their land, My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. For I have chosen this temple. This temple. Everybody, pat your chest. This temple. And set it apart to be holy. You are called to be set apart as holy. A place where my name will be honored forever. I will watch over it, for it is dear to my heart. So somebody, maybe you need to hear that today. You are dear to God's heart. But humbleness is what's going to drive that. Humbleness. It says there it is, the very first little bit of that is humbleness. Several weeks ago, somebody gave me some perspective. Didn't know I'd be preaching this sermon, by the way. Somebody in this room, and we'll just go unannounced. And he, and he gave me some advice about humility. And I wasn't really for sure what to think in that moment, but I took it in. And it's just been on my heart ever since. And I got the opportunity to preach this message, and I was so excited because I remembered exactly what this said. And for some of you out there, I've had the opportunity to practice humility recently. I might have failed. I probably have failed for a few of you. And for a few of you, I'm still learning. Notice I never said anything about succeeding yet, but I'm trying. I'm learning. I'm learning. And I think that's the key. I think that's the key is the learning piece. So today we're going to take a look at the steps Jesus took to embody humility. Because what we get really excited about is Jesus washing feet. But there's there's a whole piece that goes into this. And I want to pull that apart for us today. So, if you're a note taker, how how many points do I have? Ever. Three, Glenna says I can't put myself down, but it's because I am, no, I am not smarter than three points. 
It's all I can preach. It's all I have the capability to preach. So, I'm not putting myself down. I'm just saying I know my capabilities. So, All right, so here's our first point. It's the first thing Jesus does. He strips off the robe of teacher, savior, and master in that moment. And he takes the position that's held by a servant. We have to be like Jesus. We have to strip off the robe of who we are. I stand before you today not as Kelly the pastor. Not as Kelly the business account manager. Not as Kelly the husband. I'm going to step into the role of Kelly, the humble servant of Christ, who feels so blessed to be able to stand up here with you today. So, we get two pictures of Jesus in this scripture. We get two really clear pictures. We see him master, teacher, host of the Passover, right? We see all of this. And then we get this other one. We get the the view of humble servant, caring savior, and again, teacher. These are his final moments, church. These are his absolute final moments. And here he is. He's washing the feet of his disciples in just a few hours. Just a few hours. He's going to endure the worst punishment ever known to man. And yet here he is, washing the feet of his of his disciples. And in that moment, he says, I am both teacher, savior, master, and I am humble servant. That's pretty awesome when you think about it. So let's take a moment to look at the historical. Everybody knows I love history. Right? I always said I wanted to be a history teacher until I found out how much money teachers made. <laughs> so let's take a look about it. Let's think about it for a minute. Let's take a look at the, the position of servant in that time. Let's take a look at, at what's going on out there. So I want you to think about it. We all get a little visual. I wanted to preach in my sandals today or in bare feet. Heidi said, no. Nobody needs to see those feet. Like, they're clean. She's like, nobody needs to see those feet. So I want you all to just get a, a visual image of the streets of Jerusalem. We all get it. It's dirty. It's dusty. It's hot. Right? It's, it's gross. But I'm going to get a little bit more with you. I'm going to make it, I'm going to really get you a visual. So we already can think about the animal dung that's out there. Right? But how many of you know there wasn't any indoor toilets at that moment? And if there were, where do you think that stuff went? Out the window, out the door, into the street. Who's walking around in the streets? They weren't wearing Crocs, baby. Their sandals were pretty, pretty bare bones. It's a little bit like life today, isn't it? It's messy. It smells bad. It's ruddy. And here they are out walking around in it. I only have one thing I can imagine of that. Because most, most of us, can we really imagine it? Does anybody really know what it's like to walk through dirt, feces, mud, Everything else. I mean, I hope none of you know. But I got one thing I can, can maybe help you guys see it for just a minute. Maybe I can give you just a really visual. I have three beagles. You all have heard me talk about my three beagles. Love my three beagles. They are terrors. They are absolute terrors. We call one the princess. What do we call her? The princess of, princess of pulverization. 
You wouldn't see it in her face, would you? But she's the princess of pulverization. Let me tell you, anybody appreciate the weather this week? I did not. Because it melted all the snow in my yard. What happens to melted snow? It makes mud. Mixed with, Kelly didn't clean up the yard fast enough. So I have three beagles running around my yard. They dig. They come in. They're white, by the way. You can't tell that right now. In our infinite wisdom, we bought two white chairs and a white ottoman that sit right at the back, right at the back door where you come in. Right now, they are all covered in blankets because... Heidi is washing the floor about every seven minutes right now because there are tracks everywhere over our hardwood floors. So I want you to get this idea in your head. This is about as close as I can get you. Thank God for Scotchgard. During these times, though, there's a servant who's placed at the door because all of these people are coming into the home, just like my beagles, with crap all over their feet, junk, it's just like today, walking into the church, some of us walked in, we're just full. We're just full of garbage. We're just, we've been walking around in the muck of life. Life is just like these streets. It's a great metaphor. It's ugly. It's dirty. Some of us have really been struggling. And so they placed a servant right there. And let me tell you, this was the lowest position in the household. This was not the head servant. This was the dude who you really, who had made everybody else angry because he got stuck with feet washing duty. And feet washing duty is a bad deal. You know, like we, we draw straws to who washes the beagle. I can't imagine what it would be like to wash, wash people's feet. So this is a terrible, terrible job. It's the lowest position. And yet here's Jesus. He assumes the position of the lowest servant. At the door, he gets down. Can you all see him right now? He's down on his feet. He's greeting everyone originally, and now he's down on his feet. The teacher, the master, all the disciples have just said, just, just a few verses ago, you are the Messiah. And here he is. He's taken the lowest position. He's taken the worst position. No honor, no glory. He's the feet washer. He's just the feet washer. Here he is. He's taken that position. But there's several things in this, not just taking that position, that show us his true humility. And there's a lot to it. Because Jesus, it said, literally takes off his cloak. He says he strips himself of his cloak. He strips off the cloak of teacher, master, savior. And it had to be a pretty nice cloak, guys. Had to have been. It wasn't something that was, didn't, it, it did signify his position as teacher, rabbi. Because let me tell you, just a few verses later, you have Roman soldiers rolling dice to get his cloak. It had to have been a decent one, it was not a piece of garbage. It was a nice cloak. John chapter 19, 23 states that. It says it was a seamless piece. These are all important parts, and I want you to know why. Because it had to take a little bit for Jesus to take that cloak off. This wasn't him just taking off a coat. 
This is a seamless garment. He had to strip down. The Bible actually said he stripped down. Because Jesus could have done what you or I would have done. He could have put his car hearts on over it. Covered up his position. He could have covered it up. He could have fakely put on his work clothes. He could have. But he couldn't do that because he really wouldn't be the servant then, would he? He'd have been faking it. He would have been just covering up something else. How many of us like to, sometimes we cover up our sin. Sometimes we put on the air of something else. Jesus says, no, I'm going to strip off. I think this is really important. I don't know if any of y'all others see this. This is important because he didn't just cover it up. He stripped it off. And that's with what true humility comes, is that we have to be able to strip off who we are. That's true humility. It requires us to strip ourselves of our own, what did Webster say, our own self-worth. In that moment, this is the creator of the world. And he strips off his cloak. I'm not going to do that because my belly will fall out. He strips off his cloak. And there he goes. So not only does he assume the position, he makes himself because he strips off who he is. He strips off that and says, I am a servant. And that's so important in this. To not pretend or to disguise True humility requires us to strip off of all of that junk. What does that look like? I'm always the life application guy. What does that look like? That's a great question. What does that look like today for you sitting out here? Because I don't know that we have a whole lot of need for feet washers running around. There's some pretty nice shoes out there. Ken, I think you got some new shoes recently, didn't you? Yeah. But what's it look like? First off, I'm going to use my word again. It's the practice of being intentional. Intentionally stripping off who we are. Stripping off our own self-worth. It's checking our cloaks at the door of life. It's really easy when people are walking in here and we know they've been walking around in the muck and the junk and the crap. Forgive my crassness. Really easy to just kind of put them at arm's length, isn't it? Because their feet smell bad. Because that's all rough. I don't want to get that on me, but it requires us to check it at the door. It means stepping into the other person's shoes. What did Jesus do? He stepped into the shoes of the servant. It means putting our needs behind the needs of others. It means wading into life with our brothers and our sisters and washing their feet even when it stinks. It's easy when it doesn't stink. It means that, simply, I am not more important than my brother or my sister. I'm not more important than you. Mm. So we see the example of a humble servant there. Then Jesus gives his command. He says that they should wash the feet of one another, that 
his disciples should wash the feet of one another. And he models the behavior in 13, 15 through 16. He says, I give giving you an example to follow. That's Jesus' own words. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than the master, nor the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. See, Jesus knew my nature in this. How many of you remember? Uh, I, gave, I gave a little message and we talked about instructions. I'm not great with instructions. So, Jesus says, follow my example. For those of you who need a little more break it down, he said, monkey, see, monkey, do. I mean, that's the simplicity of it. And I love that, that Jesus speaks so plainly there. He speaks so plainly. He also says that humbleness doesn't make me better than anyone else. Sometimes we wear that as a, as a, as a badge of, of pride. But Luke 14, 11 says, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Anybody here ever been humbled before? It is not a pleasant experience, is it? I'm not good at it. I'm not. So I'll tell you what, I'd rather, I'd rather learn my lesson early. That's why Jesus says, I've given you the example. I'm telling you how. But Jesus told them this for another reason. Why they needed to do it to one another why they needed to be servants to one another, why they needed to serve each other, in humility being that piece of it, because he knew their nature. Because he knew that in just a few hours, they were going to be squabbling. And in that action, he said, let it go. Take care of one another. He knew that in just a few hours, that these 12 men who said they would die for him that they would storm the gates of Rome to take back Jerusalem. He knew they were going to scatter. They were going to run at just the threat of a few soldiers in a garden. And he said, in his actions, he said, welcome one another back. He knew that he was going to be betrayed. And he says, don't focus on the, the betrayal, focus on the repentance. He knows right now that people were going to forsake him and deny him. And he says, focus on the return. He says, focus on the prodigal son. Focus on not the action, the leaving, the peace of coming back. Because the father had every right to say, you bum. You took my money and ran. And he says, just focus on the return. <laughs> All those things, and he says, just follow my example. Then Jesus says, if it's good enough for him, and they are in him, it should be shown in all who call him that. So basically, he said, if you work for me, I should see you. I should see me in you. I used to work for a furniture company. I was very proud of it. The greatest, other than this job right here, probably the greatest job of my life. I had more fun. I went to work for them in college. Christian company. Loved working for them. Um, 
absolutely a, a great company. But one of the things that they did was they had us all wear uniforms. Now, I don't know if any of you have spent much time in Texas um, unloading trailers of furniture. Um, the trailer will read 135 degrees inside the trailer. Uh, they gave us these polyester uniforms. They were hot. They were hot. They were gray pants, white shirts. Why I had to wear a white shirt to unload trailers, I can't tell you, but I had to wear a white shirt to unload trailers. But that's not the part. The part that every day that inspired me was this little insignia. It was a patch that had the W for Weirs, and it was this fancy shirt. And I put it on every day, and I felt this sense. And I wanted to, to exemplify everything that Weirs stood for in that moment. I can remember the sense of conviction for the guys who weren't maybe walking in the same values the company had. There was a gas station not far away where some of them took a little pleasure in the afternoon after work to go get their whatever you want to call it. And I would watch these guys strip out of their shirts because they couldn't stand the conviction because they knew that that was not what was embodied in their principles of this company. Jesus says, I want to see, just like that company said, when you wear my shirt, I want to see, I want to see you. I want to see me embodied in you. I'll tell you, today, I still have that jacket. My son wears it, but every once in a while, I like to put it on. It does fit for the most part. <laughs> and I still feel that sense. And I still feel like I need to embody those, those characteristics. And that's how Jesus is. He simply said, if you follow him, Become like him. Luke 6.40 says, Students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. Come on. I want to be like Jesus. Anybody here want to be like Jesus? Is that not our aspiration? Mm. Let me tell you how important that is, actually, though. Jesus echoes that four other times in Scripture. It says those words. How do we do it? How do we follow him and not our own ways? How do we put, put him? What motivates us to be humble? What motivates our humility? It's love. It's love. I read you verses 34 and 35 to begin with, but I want to remind you of it now because you might have forgotten it. It says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Be an imitator of Christ. Be an imitator of Christ. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a baseball player. More than anything else in the world. I ate, slept, dreamed baseball. I wanted to be, everything I did, every night after school, I went out, I got my wiffle ball bat, and I would practice, right? And I would play any type of baseball. I didn't care. But the thing I used to do was I wanted to be like these great baseball players. And some of you, these are old, so some of you might not know who they are. I wanted to be like there was a guy named Eric Davis. He's a great power hitter for the Reds. And I would imitate his stance. And I had this really up, straight up stance, elbow high in the air, which is, makes no sense, but it worked for this guy, right? No sense. And, and then there was Andre Dawson. He had this long stride. And I would spend hours 
imitating these guys. George Brett, I do a really good George Brett in, 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 uh, I imit, uh, what do I do? I imitate him really well. Um, if you ever want to see it, uh, you know, with a mouthful of chew and all this stuff, I do great. I'm really good at it. Um, I, the, like the kids on my baseball team used to get me to do it because I wanted to be just like them. I wanted to hit home runs like them. I wanted to hit. I wanted to hit like Mark Grace for an average. I wanted to field like Ryan Sandberg. I wanted to run like a guy by the name of Sean Dunstan. And I would imitate everything they did. I would imitate. And that's no different than what Jesus tells us, to be an imitator of him. Interesting, though, that Jesus says this is a different command, and Jesus calls it a new command. Because prior to this, all the laws, the people had lost the intention behind them. They just became a lot of do's and don'ts and do's and don'ts and do's and don'ts. They lost the meaning behind them which was drive people to the Savior. Drive him, drive them to his heart. So Jesus says, I'm going to issue the new command. Romans 13, 8 through 10, Paul summed it up probably the best way I could ever find it. He says, owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of the law. For the commandment says you must not. Here comes our do's and don'ts. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others. Love fulfills the requirement of God's love. Love drives humility. Love drives humility. The love that Jesus demonstrates commands us to fulfill the law. But it's through love. It's through humility. No other religion in the world teaches this. That humility and love, they, never, they don't show it. Jesus says those are the characteristics that will show people that we are his disciples. No other religion in the world uses love or selflessness as what defines it. Show me one. No other religion teaches not to hate, but to love. No other religion says to be served and not be served. No other religion says to forgive and not hate. No other religion says not to be prideful, but to be humble. See, our love, guys, is demonstrated through our humility. That was Jesus' final lesson there. That humility would drive love. That's it. That's his final lesson to his disciples. He says, your humility will cause people to know you because they'll know that you love them. When we demonstrate love through humility, it's like a beacon to the world. Showing the way to Jesus, just like a ship that's lost in the night and sees a lighthouse to guide it in. So that takes us back to 2 Chronicles 7 and 14. If we'll humble ourselves and pray that he'll heal our land, he'll heal our hearts, he'll hear our voices, he'll answer us. 
all through humility and through love. I'm going to ask Loretta to come on up and, and pray, or excuse me, to, to play. Uh, wow. It's been a long morning. But I want to recap for you all. Because I've been talking a while. To act in humility, we have to strip off the layers of us and reflect the image of a servant savior. And it's not good enough to pretend. We have to be genuine and real and strip it off. And we have to serve each other. Driven by humility. Guys, I know you're going to squabble. Some of you are going to squabble with me. Some of you are. Let it go. Some of us, we're going to scatter. But when we gather again, we need to welcome one another. Some of you are going to get betrayed. Somebody's going to get betrayed in here. And when you do, don't focus on the betrayal. Just look for the repentance. Some of you, people are going to leave you. And this hurts. But focus on their return. And finally, humility and love shows the world that we're different, that we're Jesus' disciples. I'll leave you with one final story. The first recorded martyr of Christ is a young man by the name of Stephen. Stephen's a very short, really, in the, in the scheme of the Bible, a very short blip. His job was servant. He was the table clearer, is what it says in the New Testament. He was, he was not a, an apostle. He wasn't a disciple, quote-unquote, by definitions. He was a follower of Christ who was appointed in the church to be someone who serves the church. And yet he records the greatest sermon I think ever beheld. Because he served in humility, God was able to use him. I don't know about some of you. I, you know, I, my wife was reviewing this and she said, you don't have a call to action, Kelly, in your notes. And I said, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know exactly what that call to action is in that moment. But as I'm sitting here today, as I'm standing here, I think there's only one appropriate call to action. I think there's only one. And that's giving ourselves the opportunity to humble ourselves before the Savior. To admit our wrongs. To forgive one another. Some of you may need to go grab somebody and say, I'm sorry. Some of you may. That's tough. Some of you might need to just get on your face in front of Jesus and tell him you're sorry. Some of you may need to grab your spouse and say, man, I was a jerk. Some of you may need to strip off just a little bit of yourself right here and say, God, I need you. can't tell you exactly what you need in this moment. I can't. Other than humility. 
So I want to do the only thing I know how to do, the only thing I feel led to do in this moment, which is I want to open up these altars. I'll ask our prayer team to come down. So if some of you need some, somebody to agree with you in prayer, I know some of our prayer team is out today, but it, I, there's a few of you who I know can fill in up here, right? And if you need someone to pray with you, to agree with you, they're here. But if you need to just find the Lord on your face, I welcome you to do that too. I do. So I'm going to pray and I'm going to open up the altars. And, and, and maybe more importantly than humbling yourself in front of someone else today, maybe you need to humble yourself in front of the Savior and say, I need you. I don't know what you need him for right now, but you need him. And these people are here to agree with you. So let's pray. Father, we just praise you today, God. Lord, I thank you that you have given this word on humility. God, that you set an example, that you brought, that you put yourself on your knees to wash away the gunk of the world off our feet, Lord. Lord, you, you loved us so much that you would, that you would just, that you would wash us or that you would draw us near Lord, that you would be the example, that you would call us out. So, Father, right now, I just pray for each person, every heart here. God, I pray that you would meet them wherever they're at. And, God, I just pray that you would change hearts today. Lord, I thank you for every single person here. Lord, I pray you would stir us today. In Jesus' name.